Hi everyone. Before we begin, I wanted to say a big thank you for being here today and listening to the show. If you'd like to support Behind the Smile, you can do so by following this podcast and leaving a five-star review. Every rating and review helps this podcast to grow, meaning more people can discover these stories and find hope along their own journey. If you'd like to check out this week's Behind the Smile photo, head to ashbutters.com where you'll find all of the episode show notes. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can reach out to me directly through the website. And with that, let's kick off this week's episode. Welcome to Behind the Smile with Ash Butters, a podcast designed to reveal the truth behind the masks we wear. Together, we look to demystify the human mind and its behaviours in relation to mental health, trauma and addiction. My name's Ash and I'll be your host as we uncover the real stories of people's pain and the steps they've taken to live a life of freedom in recovery. From sobriety to spirituality, Join me each week as we uncover the reasons why people seek recovery and how their lives have changed by living one day at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Smile. Today on the show, we have none other than David Wilson, also known as Sober Dave, if you know him from Instagram. Dave is a sobriety coach and author and is the creator and host of One for the Road, a sobriety podcast that shares stories of those who've changed their relationship with alcohol and the steps they've taken towards positive change. Dave made the decision to quit drinking for good on the 7th of January 2019 and has spent his most recent years helping other people to do the same. Dave provides one-on-one coaching to people all over the world, offering a non-judgmental and confidential safe space for those looking to change their lives for the better. In addition to this, he is a leading voice within the online sober community, amassing to date 74,000 followers on Instagram. So, without any further delay, dialing in from the UK, I'd love to introduce Dave onto the show. Dave, welcome to Behind the Smile. Thank you so much for being here. Wow, that was an incredible <laughs> introduction. I love it. Can you send me the recording? Because I'll, I'll keep that, I think. It's Absolutely. You, thank you. You can have that one for free. No worries. Oh, thank you. I'm fine, actually. And I'm really grateful that we rescheduled because we were meant to record this last week, weren't we? And I was really rough. That's so, it. You uh, weren't feeling well at all. No. So I'm grateful to you for that. And people can understand what I'm talking about today because I could, my voice had gone, hadn't it? (laughs) It had completely gone. And I'm just, I'm so glad that you were able to rest up and get that out of your system before we kick off into the next craziness of the next few weeks. So really good to hear that you're feeling better. Thank you. Now, Dave, before we take a look at the photo that I've asked you to bring into the studio today... I'd love for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. So can we start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself, perhaps where you grew up, where you live now, what an average day looks like and what you like to do for fun? Yeah, sure. Um, I grew up in uh, UK in uh, Surrey. Um, Well, it's an actual London borough called Croydon. Um, 
with my mum and dad, we never had any money really. Um, you know, secondhand clothes. Um, and I went to quite a, a rough school really. But they always made sure we were fed properly. Uh, and we used to spend Sundays together. My mum would have the carpenters on the record player. My dad be clanking yeah. around in the garage, mending something, you know. So it felt quite a secure childhood, really, you know. Um, but then gradually, as I got a bit older, my mum and dad started arguing a little bit more, um, and things changed. Um, and that led on to what I'll talk about later on in the podcast of, of how mm. alcohol um, came into my life at the age of 14. But it, it was quite a, a, a... It felt like a nice childhood. Um, at the minute, I'm currently living uh, in a beautiful area in the East Midlands, surrounded by countryside. Uh, I can walk out of my house now and be in a field full of horses within 30 seconds. Uh, wow. And that, yeah, that leads on to what I do for fun now. So I've got a gorgeous little dog called Rose. She's a little chihuahua puppy. I've seen photos of Rose on Instagram and, oh, yeah. my gosh, my heart exploded. <laughs> She's amazing, you know, and we're like a proper little couple. We're so codependent on each other, you know. <laughs> Uh, I woke up this morning and I had my arm around her and she was snuggled into my neck fast asleep and it's like, oh, well, that'd do me, you know. Um, yeah, so I live in a in a beautiful part of the country now and my average day uh, depends on uh, how many people I'm working with. Uh, I myself, as you've lovely um, explained that I have my own podcast. Uh, I do a bit of writing um i'm planning my dry january campaign i do that every year uh dry jan sober dave and uh i i'm planning guests which it'd be great to get you on for that as well but the time's a bit (laughs) odd because you're in australia but you know like so there's always something going on in the community and you know one thing that's come from my sobriety is that um i was in a trade from when i left school thinking that would be the the job I would do until I was kicking up daisies but since sobriety uh, I trained to be a grey area drinking coach Uh, I had two years of counselling training behind me before that as well Uh, and I absolutely love my career change now It, it is so brilliant and you know the results as you know we get from helping people and you get messages coming in a year later mm. going, do you know what? It was one post you said or working with you on a few sessions that has com- not just completely changed my life, but everyone around me. You know, the mm. knock-on effect is incredible for the relationships, the kids, Absolutely. everywhere. Do you know it, what I mean? It becomes generational, doesn't it? It does. It does. Uh, and, and it goes down, as you say, through generations because the kids start talking about it and then you've got the knowledge there to discuss what you know about it. And it's not about telling them not to do it. It's about educating them on maybe if they want to explore it, to explore it in a more mindful way rather than just go out mm. like we did back in the day, you know. So, yeah, that's me, oh, sure. really. Excellent. Thank you so much for that extended introduction. And it's really great for our listeners to know a little bit more about you. 
So that then brings us into your photo. Now, Dave, I asked you to bring in a photo today that was from a time in your life where you were hiding behind a smile. So you were projecting one version of yourself to the world, but the reality was you were dying on the inside. You were really suffering. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the photo that you've chosen? Yeah, it's uh, powerful even when you say it behind the smile because it has a lot of uh, impact on on uh, that particular photo. And, uh, you know, I think I was two people back then. Um, I was someone that was winging it through life every single day. I was running my business, uh, pretending to be this happy chappy that had everything under control. But waking up at three o'clock every morning, not knowing who I'd message, turning up um, on a job in the morning, not knowing whether they could smell my breath. I didn't know whether I'd argued uh, with anyone. Uh, and, and you know that feeling of not knowing is awful. And you lay there for two hours um and you're still well for me I was still drunk and this was a a, a rolling thing day in day out because I was a daily drinker but um the way my drinking manifested was into spirits you know vodka so I was getting drunk really really quickly so mm. it was like playing Russian roulette my my mood swings would either go one way or the other you know so I didn't even know what I was capable of that evening. I could have had a bad day, so I was irritable anyway. So I was just pouring petrol on the fire, you know. But the the mm. photo was probably at one of the darkest points in my life. I, I didn't know where I was with myself. Um, and I look at my eyes... And I feel real compassion for, for myself back then. Like, it would be easy to go look at the state of that, like we all do, and we have the embarrassment and the shame. But I, when I look at the picture, it goes deeper than that. And it's like, you, you poor soul, what are you actually hiding from there? What pain are you going through in your life there? Um, mm. And it wasn't just the pain of past trauma. It was the pain of what I was reduced to you know when I was younger I, I I was a good sportsman I did a lot of different sports I was a healthy weight I looked really well mm. uh, and I was drinking probably like any other teenager or someone in their early 20s you know like going out clubbing meeting women and and having a a real good time, but wouldn't even think about drinking in the week. Or I might go a couple of weeks and then it'd be, come on, let's go out again. And yeah, we can have a few drinks. And it wasn't an issue. But then gradually throughout the years, it changed. And then I started to use it as a coping strategy. And then it become a daily habit. And then it becomes solitary drinking. Uh, mm. And then I met someone else and then moved in with them. And it become, I had to adapt my drinking around that situation. So I started to hide alcohol and stuff. So the picture really meant something to me because it was a pivotal part of my life that it was completely out of control. And looking back then, you know, I was drinking up to a litre of vodka a day. Mm. Um so how how I'm even here, I don't know. 
How I sustained a relationship at the time, I don't know. But how I worked, I don't know. But we become incredibly resilient when we drink Mm. like that. You know, we adapt to so many situations. And it was almost like I was living my life in slow motion because I I, I wasn't present with anything. You know, it was just Mm. getting to the end of the day Mm. as well as I could so I could start drinking again to block out the pain and and I'm not mm. sure even in hindsight if I even knew what the pain was I think it was the pain from where where I was at that moment of like my life is such a mess now uh, and I don't know how to get out of it so it's that kind of feeling rather than or oh, my childhood was terrible you know I'd gone way mm. past that and I'd I'd turned into this manic person that was 127 kg blood pressure Mm. to the roof the doctor said that I could drop down dead acid reflux every day I projectile vomit acid out of nowhere uh Mm. cholesterol sky high probably heart disease you know all, all sorts of things and I thought you know what I'm I'm on a road to to nowhere here and mm. and that's what the picture portrays to me. So can you remember back to what you were feeling at that time? Yeah, desperation. I, I wasn't in a place of, do you know what, this is who I am and what. I was absolutely desperate because I, I didn't know how to get out of it. It, it mm. I, I was I felt trapped in my own body, trapped in my own mind of I have no idea how to escape this this is now what I'm defined as this raging alcoholic that um drinks enough to kill the average person um Mm. and I just I I was completely and utterly trapped in my own body I think is how I felt then Mm. now to explaining that to somebody who also identifies as being an alcoholic, I completely relate and it resonates. But for somebody who's listening to this, who's not an alcoholic, I imagine that they would think to themselves, well, why didn't you just stop? So can you explain that a little bit for us? Well, it boils down to one, I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know how to get support. And there's also a part which is the other side of it, I wasn't sure if I wanted to stop. Mm. And, and not many talk, people talk about that, right? Uh, and it, <clears throat> when I stopped, I had to be completely honest with myself. It's like I've got two roads I'm going down here. One is in the ground and two is a potentially uh, healthy lifestyle further down the line, right? Um, mm. So I I had to gradually start to change my mindset of where I was going in my life and I looked around me uh, at what I had in my life rather than what I didn't have Um, Mm. and I start to slowly 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 start to plant that seed that there might be an option here and that would have to be to end my relationship with alcohol it could never be moderation it could never be um, like oh I have a drink at the weekend so I won't drink in the week I tried all that it's like mm. 
finishing with your ex and sleeping with them on a Saturday night. It just doesn't <laughs> doesn't work. Do you know what I mean? Um, no, it's not and, healthy. Do you know, and the other thing as well, Ash, is that, it, you know, I also, since I've become sober, realise it's not about quantity as well. Because we can all go, oh, wow, you got to that rock bottom, did you? And and you were in the right state. I only drink every other night. And it's not about the quantity. It's about how it affects your life, right? So mm. it doesn't really matter um, as much about I drink more than you, so I've got a bigger problem. Because if alcohol is a problem in your life, whatever that may look like, whether it means your parenting, your anxiety levels, your sleep, your quality of life, then it's a problem, full stop, right? Mm. So it's how we deal with it. So for me, it might have been harder to stop because of the amount I was drinking. But equally, it's like you have to weigh up what is best for you moving forward. Um, mm. and, and for me, it, it, it was almost like I had an epiphany, you know, um, a, a, like a final chance, a bit like a cat who's got nine lives, right? And I was on my ninth life and whatever you believe in the universe or God or whatever, like something happened to me that changed everything for me. And, and I stopped, uh. And that was four years ago now, uh, and I've never looked back, you know. And it's hard to say, uh, well, do you think you'll ever drink again? My answer to that is no, but (laughs) hey, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I totally know exactly what you're saying. I'd love to know, when you were in that pre-contemplation stage, you had that desperation, but you, you didn't know if you really even wanted to stop What that brought up for me as I was listening was I remember being consumed by fear. Number one, that I thought if I were to become sober, then I would never live a happy life. My life from here on out would be bleak. It would be boring and I'd never experience joy or excitement again. And the other thing was that I had examples of sober people in my life within my immediate family, but their sobriety, which was edging on decades seemed so far away and so unattainable to me while I was in active addiction that it was almost like better the devil I know, even though it was killing me. I thought the jump to the other side just seemed way too far, too much of a leap. I was going to fall down the crack. So why don't I just stay here and continue drinking where I know that I can control my environment and my space and, and, and not fear or have that sense of fear arise? I completely relate to that. Um, And that's why it's not always beneficial to compare. Because Mm. if you look in the sable sphere, right, we're all different. We all offer different things. And some people out there, it's like, oh, I'm so bored of that. Oh, let's run 10K and let's jump out of a plane. And it doesn't have to be that. You know, it's like you on your own journey um, and you know you. And this is why every single person has their own bespoke way to deal with it. And for me, it was like, okay, I need to believe I can do it, right? Mm. I gave up smoking years ago, right? I was a -a 20-a-day man, and one day I just chucked him in the bin and said, I'm done now, and I've never had a fag since, right? So I know I've got that, like, binary thinking where it's, it's all or nothing, and I was mm. like that with my drinking. Like I could never go out and just have 
two because the minute I had a sip, I wanted ten. You know, mm. Um, mm. but it's it's like you have to work out what works for you, and and you know that's including support. You know, like AA might work for you. You might like the structure of AA. Um, like find military people and and alike like the the routine of a set time, a set meeting, a set place, and whatever. For me, I don't like being told what to do. I'm not I'm not saying they do that, but it felt a little bit like controlled, and it's like oh I don't know if that's going to work for me. So I found the sober community, and then I, I realised that worked for me because I felt like there are people out there similar to me that are mm. further down the line and they've done it so they can do it I can do it you know it worked for me um and you have to find your groove I think but I, I honestly believe mindset is everything and even podcasts like this there could be one thing one of us will say and it would go oh yeah I feel like that I, I can really relate to that so mm. it's you know the whole one day at a time thing. I think as humans, we these days because we love instant gratification. You know, with the swiping up and down on the phone and and all this bit, the messages pinging in on our phone and whatever. We want things to happen yesterday, and with this, mm. you have to take a day at a time and not look too forward um, and think well. How am I going to deal with a holiday? How am I going to deal with my birthday? How am I going to deal with Christmas? You know, you have to think, how am I going to deal with today and get to the end of the day and put my pillow on the head and go, do you know what? There's a tick there because I'm mm. sober. And it could have been challenging or not. But by minimalizing that sort of scope of time, it can really make it more achievable. Mm. Mm. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I remember that was one of the things that would put me off thinking about giving up. I'd think, well, how could I ever enjoy my wedding day or how could I ever, you know, I heard someone share recently, they were thinking about how could I possibly toast my son on his wedding day and his son was four years old. So it's yeah, just like I know. the craziness that we bring up or the, the reasons why we shouldn't stop, you know, they'll come thick and fast. But the, at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding that when you do give up, you know, you get this incredible life that you never even imagined was possible. Yeah. And, you know, that's the other thing, because I'm of the older generation, the granddaddy of Instagram is I was 54 <laughs> when I stopped drinking, right? And I often say to people, you never ever too old to change your life, right? Because for me, I was drinking for exactly four decades. I don't remember my 40s. Now, how tragic is that? Because mm. I was in a complete mess with vodka. Every single day, I just got up. I didn't know where I was. I would go to work and then come home and, and do the same. I don't remember hardly anything, right? So at the age of 54, everything has changed for me. Uh mm. You know, and, and it's powerful, you know, because I think especially in men as well, you know, because men are like, oh, I've been doing it all my life, why change now? That kind of attitude or I ain't mm. really got a problem. Um, it's just a few beers with the lads. There's a denial. Do you know what I mean? It, it It's like, God, we've got to wake up and actually see what alcohol really is. It's a highly toxic drug. It ruins 
people's lives, you know, it kills people. I get messages in my DMs saying, uh, oh, I've just jumped on my, my brother's Instagram and I thought I'd let you know that he died last week. And, you know, when you hear things like that, it's like, God, that's the reality of it, you know. And we all have a choice. We all have an option here. So the default setting that we have of, like, how can I enjoy my holiday next year is is like almost like primitive thinking. We have to sort of stop this default setting that we all say. And we're all capable of it in life in general, you know, these sweeping statements, and go, what is the truth around my relationship with alcohol? Because if that was a human being, nine times out of ten, you wouldn't stay with them. You would move on, right? So that's why I compare it, the relationship with alcohol to a, a, a lifetime relationship is, is like, I wouldn't put up with that, the controlling feeling of, you know, two o'clock every day when you, you've had a hangover mm. morning and you're going, oh, I could have one, maybe. I get a couple of mm. bottles just in case, but I, I just have a couple of glasses. So by eight o'clock, mm. you've already done one. And then you're opening the mm. second one. Hamster wheel of doom, I call it, where you're going round yeah. and round and round, you know? Yeah, it's just that cycle of misery. It just mm. never ends. Mm. Dave, you mentioned earlier that you had what you considered to be quite a normal upbringing. Can I ask, was there any alcohol in the family home? Did your parents drink? And when were you sort of first exposed to drinking? Uh, my mum and dad didn't really drink, um, but my dad used to make homemade wine. So you used to see these huge demijohns. I don't know if you've seen them. They're like huge, like I think they're five litre or 15 litre bottles and they've got this thing <laughs> on the top of a bubble. Uh, and he used to, you would never know what percentage it was or anything. And I remember maybe at Christmas they might have a few, but they didn't really drink, not that I was aware of, but I do know at Christmas, I remember having a couple of um, snowballs. Do you remember them? The Advocar and Lemonade, the yellow mm, things, yes. right? And I was probably only nine or ten, and it was a bit of fun then, but it wasn't because I actually really enjoyed it. Like, um, I think that was the start of my getting the flavour for, for alcohol. But what happened after that was um, I said, earlier that mum and dad started arguing and we we moved mm. area um and i had to go to to this school starting in the second year uh where everyone had always settled into secondary school and i'm walking in and it's like bag of nerves and i was quite a shy kid you know i wasn't one for being a jack the lad in with all the boys and whatever i kept myself to myself but then shortly after that mum and dad um well, my mum actually left my dad, which is rare, uh, and, I, and I found a note on the kitchen table saying, Dave, I've left your dad, I'll be in touch. And then shortly after that, my dad met someone else, and I felt really rejected, like I, I was lost. I didn't, I didn't know where I fitted, why this would happen, uh, was it my fault, am I unlovable? Mm. All these kind of emotions came up. And then I kind of drifted towards the group of lads that I'd stayed away from, which were the lads that would always have fights at school, uh, always had a girlfriend, uh, and would hang around the shops, right? So 
it was a feeling of acceptance that I belong somewhere because they mm. took me into their uh, group and instead of being the fighter, I become the drinker in the group. You know, I, I had that role of, God, he loves a drink, Dave. and whatever. So we used to give all the uh, adults, like, loose coins, say, oh, can you get us four cans of Foster's or something? Uh, and then that's what really started it. Um, I loved it, Ash. Like, from the off, it was like, they say about the old Foster's and the elixir or whatever it is, it's like, oh, my God, this gives me confidence. It makes me feel good my mates are laughing at me because I was naturally quite funny drinking's for me and back then there was no ID in the pubs you could go in a pub at 15 years old and get served so then yeah, there's all wow. I was looking up at all these adults thinking god this is cool man this you know I'm mixing with all the adults and my dad had this new relationship and my mum had gone so I felt like again accepted and stuff like that so that was the start of my relationship with alcohol it's really interesting that you know at that same time that your mum left and I imagine as a young boy you would have felt a sense of abandonment that it was at that time that you sought out this group of friends that allowed you to feel accepted so was Mm. that seeking of acceptance something that carried on throughout the rest of your years into adulthood Brilliant question, Ash. That's so relevant because I was insecure. Uh, I had lots of self-doubt about who I was because if your mum can leave you, anyone can. Mm. Um, And I became a people pleaser. Uh, And people pleasing was by me putting on a performance uh, like an actor and I would I learned throughout the years to shapeshift as well so I could go in a pub and there could be a solicitor in there so I would shapeshift to what he would want to hear or she or I could go and there's a builder there so I'd be more like hello mate how you doing sort of thing mm-hmm. you know and I I I become this role in fact I even had a name called Glugs because I would drink really really quickly um, mm. So I, I walk in the pub, right, Glugsy, usual. They would know what drink I'd have, you know. So throughout my whole life, I become this acting figure that played several different parts to be accepted. So I felt like, loved and appreciated. And I think mm. that was one of the hardest things for me when I stopped drinking. I had no idea who I was and I had to Mm. start again so I went back to the 14 year old who was standing outside the off license at the roundabout having his first drink because I hadn't developed emotionally at all I just I was stuck in that time frame um and People don't talk about that about Sprite as well. It's like finding out who you really are. and that. But I don't mean that in a negative. I mean that in a way of, God, this, this... When we talk about, oh, my God, look, I've got sober skin and I've got a glow and I feel healthier. I'm talking about actually getting to know yourself again. Is I mm. went back to that 14-year-old and I gave him a big hug and I said, Do you know what, I've got you, mate because you've turned out all right and and you've you've got through life you're kind you've got empathy for others you've had a quite a few bumps along the road 
but you're all right, mate. From here, we've got each other, you know. And that journey of, of self-discovery after that was incredible. It was like, e- even now, there's days I get up and it's like, wow, I didn't know that about myself, you know. And that's that's such a, a brilliant part of stopping drinking. Oh, I couldn't agree more. It's like they say, you know, you don't get your old life back. You get an entirely new one. And I know for myself, I've learned so much in, you know, I'm coming up onto three years and absolutely every week I'm learning things about myself, even my from my fundamental values down to really simple likes and dislikes, things that I thought I wanted to do. I completely identify with being the people pleaser, the shape shifter. And what I found was after, you know, 30 odd years of people pleasing and changing myself to fit other people's narratives to keep them happy, I'd become so disconnected from self. And it wasn't until I was able to remove that alcohol, which was keeping me fuzzy, that I was able to start to really tune in and, and work out who, who is Ash. And you're absolutely right. I think it's the, probably the greatest gift that we get from sobriety. hundred percent. Uh, and it's worth considering as well, you know, because people get put off by the thought of um, past history, you know, like, um, oh, that means I've got to feel my feelings now and all these things that I've been blocking out and how do I deal with it? But <clears throat> you can, you can get support, you can get coaching, you can get therapy, you know, you can deal with all that. But it's the it's the finding out about yourself, which is the real golden nugget in sobriety because you live your true authentic you and you hang up like I I imagine myself on on the 7th of January 2019 hanging up my outfit at the theatre and I think right I'm no longer treading those boards I'm treading some new ones Um, Mm. and that's with other people as well and that's why community is so important to not wander off on your own into the distance because you can feel lonely enough when you're drinking the last thing you need is to feel lonely when you're not and that's why Mm. connection is so so important um when you do it and that could be by telling your best friends or your partner or finding the right community on socials it's connection is so important Mm. oh it's the number one, it, you know, there's a reason they say we don't do recovery alone. No. It's not meant to be done alone. And I love what you touched on that there are so many different ways that you can find connection, whether that's through a 12-step program, a sober community, the online sober space. There are so many different avenues and you can be a part of all of them if you want to, or maybe there's just one particular one that works yeah. for you. Absolutely. So tell me, when you finally made the decision to stop... In January 2019, how did you go about that? Did you just, I know that you said you made that decision consciously, but what sort of tools did you lean into or explore to help you through that first, say, six to 12 months? Yeah, um, well, I I had a, a massively awful 2018. Um, so much happened. I had a, a terrible experience uh in the spring of 2018 where um i went awol basically missing uh and there was nowhere for me to stay so i i was what you could 
sort of say was homeless for a few days and I drank myself into a stupor and the doctor had um, double dosed my antidepressants a week before and hadn't asked about my drinking. Uh, I was psychotic. I was drinking from nine in the morning till three the next morning, but ended up on a beach every night because I thought it was romantic looking at the stars and the moon, but I could have died of hypothermia. I cut my head open on the stones and it was disaster. Mm. Then my mum died um, I was with her when she died and I had a, a really expensive watch stolen and it, it was just a catalogue of things, right? But all that time, I was kind of thinking, I've got to do something about this. There's, I can't can carry on like this, you know. So then I went through Christmas, New Year, uh, woke up New Year's Day feeling horrendous and then was thinking, God, do I really want to start another year like this? Uh, and I received a text message on a Monday morning, um, and it was from a, a really good friend of mine who's an incredible person, and he, uh, he said to me, how do you feel about giving up alcohol with me for three months? And I just burst out laughing. I thought, I can't do it for three days. But throughout the day, it trickled in, and and it was almost like a, a subliminal challenge for me. It wasn't like, I think you need to stop drinking, Dave. It was, how do you feel joining me was the the phrasing of it made it feel more appealing. So I went round that mm. day to see him and I looked at him and instantly I said, let's go, let's do it. Um, and then I went to some AA meetings that a friend of mine then was going to and initially it was okay I walked in I love churches I love the feeling it's like la when you walk in you know (laughs) the heavens open but after about four or five meetings I was hearing the same old thing and um I found it quite suppressing there was something about it that that wasn't fitting quite right with me uh and I come out of the last one I thought oh, I just want to go to the pub. And I thought, well, that's no good if this is the way I'm going, right? So, and then there was an event uh, mentioned on Instagram and I I bought a ticket and I went and I nearly didn't go in. I was petrified, Uh, but I did go in and I met some incredible people uh, and that's really what worked for me. And then in the September, uh, I had my own event and people flew in from Germany, Ireland, and there was about 80 people there. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe. Eight, nine months ago, I was still drinking. And now I'm holding a sober event that all these people are turning up at, you know. And since it's then, amazing. I've just, yeah, I've just completed my seventh event in London uh, that people flew from everywhere to be there, you know. And that's why I say about connection is everything because you put people together that share the same thing in common uh, and mm. and they pick you up when you're down or you pick them up when they're down, it can mean such a difference. So that's what got me through the first six to 12 months. But I remember when I hit a year, I had a slump then because it was almost like when you have a baby and then you're left with a baby in the middle of the night screaming and you're not getting text <laughs> messages and whatever. And you, you're kind of like, what do I do now? You know, so there was another little thing. It's never linear, this sober life, is it? So I went through two Certainly or three not. weeks of um, what does this mean now? 
And the second year, as you know, is very different from the first year. And the third year mm. is very different from the second year. So it, it's amazing how it goes. But it is, again, like, don't look too far ahead because it is a day at a time and get through that day and tick that box. Uh, mm. And before you know it, you're coming up to three years. I'm four years in a couple of weeks. And, and it's like, wow. Where's that gone? Absolutely. I mean, it just blows my mind that within nine months you were running your own sober events. I'd love to know what was the driving force behind that? You know, you're now an accredited grey area drinking coach as well. So what was fueling you to move into want to work in this space? I think it was um, because I'm a a bloke and I've got an accent, um, you know, I'm not from Cambridge University, shall we say. <laughs> and I also say it how it is. I'm very honest about it. So I say when I'm having a bad time or when I'm having a good... It's not all fluffy clouds and rainbows, you know. It, I, I've always been very honest about it. And and it mm. wasn't long before I started getting messages of, uh, I really love your page, Dave, and how honest you are. Um, I'm really struggling at the moment. And I I realised that actually by me replying, and I replied to every message as well, that um, I was being able to use my experience of my drinking and my sobriety to support other people. And I I think from then I realised there was a lot of, um, not power, but like ability to support others going through the same thing, you know. Uh, and mm. I I was training to be a counsellor when I was drinking as well, which was a complete car crash uh, <laughs> because I was doing a lot of the homework drunk. Um, so I had that background as well. And then I did my course with Jolene Park and I, I loved that. And then I just realised that there's there's so much space in the community to support other than AA because if you go back five, ten years, that's all people thought there was and there's so much now. So Mm. I I did my first event uh, and I just absolutely, I did a little talk on the stage and whatever and then, you know, other things come along, don't they? You get sort of noticed it on social media and then you get asked to do talks and write blogs and... And then I decided to do my podcast, which literally come out of nowhere one day. Mm-hmm. So I think I might do a podcast. Um, and then I recorded it, and within a month it was out, and it went to number three in the Apple charts. It was like, what? Yeah. What's going Amazing. on here? Uh, and then the book, you know, I started writing the book, which was a whole new can. I mean, I don't know if you've started that yet, going down that avenue. Oh my yeah. God, talk about open a can of worms, but exactly. it's equally cathartic as well because it took a couple of years and, and like digging up some stuff that you didn't even really know was there, you know, is mm. your own journey of recovery when you're in recovery, do you know what I mean? And it, mm. you know, so all these little stepping stones, but I've reached a place now that I, I've come to a bit of a plateau and I'm mm. thinking... I'm not sure what I want to do, but that's okay as well because I'm almost just like treading water in the Mediterranean Sea now, looking around me and thinking, it doesn't really matter what's next. The main thing is 
my health is really really good my mental health is so much better and my my relationships friendships and that are are spot on because I align completely differently now with people you know I I don't have toxic people in my life um Mm. you know they they were just beer buddies back in the day when I thought they were real mates and and they all got filtered out over time. Oh, it's so true, isn't it? I think those superficial friendships just naturally fall away and what you end up creating is this foundation of really solid people within your life and you have that really pure connection that when you spend time with those people, for me personally, I leave with a full cup, whereas those other friends I would always leave empty. And depleted, Absolutely. and I think that's the key difference there. Yeah. Tell me, what's been the hardest part about getting sober for you? Um, as I said initially, it's never linear, and so lockdown. Uh, I was a year sober, and you might expect me to say I really struggled in that time. I didn't. I was so grateful. Because I mm. wouldn't have known how to have got the amount of alcohol I was drinking into the house, I would have. It would have been a nightmare for me. So, I really, really found lockdown fine, absolutely fine. I was so grateful. Um, but in the last year, um, I've gone through um, a marriage breakup. Um, everything in my life has changed. Uh, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on decisions that I've made throughout my life, um, Mm. sitting with those thoughts, dealing with a range of emotions um, that I could only really deal with now sober because if I was drinking, I'd have made some rash decisions and regretted them in the morning, you know. Mm. And... So I've found the last few months really difficult. I've moved four or five times in the last year as well, which has been challenging. But mm. now I'm in a place that's serene. It's it's peaceful. I, I live in a beautiful cottage. And at the back, there's, as I was saying to you previous to this, um, horses in a field and sheep. And the environment is reflects how I want my life to move on is a simple, gentle life because I'd lived 40 years of chaos and and I look at it as chaos because everything was chaotic. And now I can go to bed at night, um, rested, proud of myself that I've remained sober throughout this whole process and I feel excited about what's ahead even though I don't know what that is, I'm trusting the universe there. And I, I think, do you know what? I, I, I've I, allowed myself the opportunity to live a really good life now. And, and whatever mm. that may look like in the future is I'm going to leave it up to to the universe, you know, and see what comes along. And that's why I feel in a really good place at the moment. Mm, that's beautiful. I love what you said about allowing the universe to guide you. It's this sense of trusting in a higher power or a higher self and knowing that, you know, as you described how your life has changed and all of these things have started to fall away, 
But what I was really feeling there was this sense that you're coming back to you even more and connecting back to that authentic Dave, you know. And, And whilst you have to travel through some really painful moments to get to that, it's like the path has already been written as long as you let yourself be guided into that path rather than trying to control and strangle life and, you know, create what you think you need to have. It's like, let go, be in flow and exactly yeah. what's meant for you will evolve. Absolutely. And, and you know what as well, uh, I'm 58 now and I think, do you know what? I, I've allowed myself to live the next however long to the best I can mm. you know rather than looking at the next 12 years of more chaos I've freed that up I, uh, the the amount of headspace you get when you take that drug out is incredible the mm. amount of acceptance that you've been given another chance wherever that comes from you know like just self-belief trusting the universe um and and believing that the path is laid out out for you as well, and of course you've got to follow certain rules. You know, like you can't just think, oh, "Well, that's it, I'm done now," <laughs> because you know that whole thing. What I said to you before about um, I, it's impossible for me to say I will never drink again. But believe me, Ash, for what I've experienced in the last few months, uh, if there was a time to drink, it would have been then. But every mm. single day, I've got up, and I've. I've thought about my life ahead, what that would mean. I've thought about the people in my life, what would that mean? Um, and it's every single day, it's not been an option to drink. I've removed that option. It's a non-negotiable. Uh, mm. And that's my rule of thumb is just every day I will not drink alcohol today. It's a non-negotiable because I think the minute you start to think, oh, do you know what, I, oh, I could murder a glass of wine. Then mm. then that horrible demon will start playing subliminally in the back of your mind. And before you say, oh, I had a drink, I don't know why. Well, mm, where did that start, actually? Let's be real about it. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, absolutely. So it's, yeah, I, I feel free. Uh, and and why would I ever want to go back to that, that chaos? Mm-hmm. Mm. I feel the exact same way. Dave, there's one final question that I love to ask all of my guests that come here onto the show. Now, that question is, what are your three non-negotiables that allow you to live this life today that, as you just shared then, is full of freedom? What a great question. Um, I think it's been true to myself every single day um, is wake up and just do the very best I can um, to have real authentic genuine relationships in my life because when I look back um, I've not done that um, and I and I can really see the the benefit of surrounding myself with people that are true to themselves as well as myself and I think as well it might sound cheesy but um to be positive you know I think with everything that goes on these days it's quite easy to go down that rabbit hole of 
of um, complaining about everything but I think if you can just try and rise above that and, and look at the brighter side of life and that it, it, it affects your mood throughout the day um, mm. and, and can have a real impact to how you look at the future as well and that's what I quite often talk to my clients or whatever you want to call them when when you know when they come to me they're looking down at the floor because they feel in complete despair and it's about taking the blinkers off and looking around you know at the view and what is actually in front of you but I think when you're in the despairs of drinking you you don't see it uh, and it's Mm. allowing yourself to see what is actually around you in your life. And so if somebody's listening here today and they're in that pre-contemplation phase, they're considering giving up alcohol, but they're still feeling a bit of indecision around all of it, what's the one thing that you would say to them? I think um, there's a reason uh, why they would be listening to this podcast, why they would be following people on social media. Um that they should start to explore the idea of having one day without alcohol, a week or a month. Just use it as an experiment. Um, do some journaling. Write your feelings down. Connect with community. There's lots of uh, online groups that you can join. Listen to podcasts. Um, you can see all sorts of um, resources on YouTube as well. There are some amazing books out there, right, Ash? And uh, <laughs> That's it. You know, we'll pop yours in the you show know, notes. Yeah. There's, there's, <laughs> um, there's so many things now that you can do to educate yourself. Um, and, and, you know, like, it is achievable as we can prove that um, ourselves, you know. It's having... Even if it's a little bit of self-belief, thinking, do you know what, I, I'm going to try not to drink today and see how I go with it. It's a start. We've all got to start somewhere, haven't we? Um, mm. And just having a little bit of faith. And, and I know what worked for me was um, when he said to, to give up for three months, I started to visualise how my life could look in three months' time. How would I look physically? How would my mental health be? How would my relationship be? You know, my peace of mind. And that was a real driver for me. It was like winding my life forward to see of the version that I could have could be rather than the mm. version that I would be if I carried on drinking. Um, mm. And that kind of worked for me. Um so I just think, you know, you've got to start somewhere. Um, and mm. that might be by listening to this interview or or hearing someone say one thing on Instagram or Facebook that could just set you off on, on a new path for your life. Mm. Such sound advice. Dave, it's been such a joy having you on the podcast today. If people want to discover more about you, find your books, listen to your podcast, where should they go? Um, Well, people can find me on my Instagram at Sober Dave. My book, One for the Road, is on Amazon uh, all over the world. And my podcast is on your usual Spotify, Apple Podcasts, 
I'm now on season eight, um, and they're all life stories. So they're re- really useful mm. for people to hear how people have gone from that life to a life without alcohol. And uh, there's all sorts of people on there, musicians, actors, actresses, you know, like everyday people that have struggled and, and they've come away from it. So it's a really useful resource, actually. And I want to say to you, Ash, as well, I'm really, really grateful that you've invited me on your podcast because it's brilliant and uh, you should be proud of yourself as well. Thank you, Dave. I'll make sure I pop all of your information in the episode show notes. We say here on Behind the Smile that when we recover loudly, no one needs suffer in silence. So I cannot thank you enough for being here with me today, for sharing your story and for all of the amazing work that you do. Thank you so much, Ash. Um, And one day I might get to meet you. Who knows, eh? Absolutely. We will be making that happen for sure. All right, take it easy. Thank you. See you later, Dave.